Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we will be talking with UFC COO Lawrence Epstein. But first, joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. And we have to start with NASCAR because this is huge. My goodness, it has been in the France family since Big Bill France since 1948. Should, should Emin and I just shut off our mics and you just wax whatever you want to say? Yeah, bring, bring me in when we yeah, uh, yeah when you let, when we go to the next topic. Bring us in. Go, uh, Mike, Michael Barr, ladies and gentlemen. Time me. <laughs> Big Bill France, founder of NASCAR, 1948. It has been a family-owned business, the organization, since that time, and now there is word. My goodness, that uh, they are talking about uh, selling it. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised okay. because attendance has been way down, especially throughout the decade. And if you've seen some of the races, the stands aren't even half full. Now, Talladega was all right recently because it was a full stand, but that's the super speedway and, and it gets a lot of television, a big audience for that. But some of the smaller races... Uh, I worry about that. I worry about those tracks. Yeah, so apparently they've engaged Goldman Sachs to explore options. One of those options would be a sale. And the question is, if it's not in the DNA, and it is obviously in the France family, it's the DNA of racing, who buys it and what do they do with it? Is this going to be one of these private equity firms takes over NASCAR? I don't know how well that sits with the core fan base. They made a pitch to sort of appeal to the casual fan, not that core customer I don't think that worked out too well. So I don't know what you do with NASCAR bar. You're way closer to it than anybody else. So what do you do with NASCAR? I, you can probably draw some comparisons to F1, you know, another yeah. racing series that sold about two years ago, I guess, to Liberty Media. So it was a it was a finance group that came in and, and did it. They did it for reasons that they felt they could make the sport new and profitable in different ways. You know, they felt like F1 was lagging socially lagging in 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 digital lagging in online content etc um that's chase carry exactly um you could see an argument for for maybe nascar needing a new infusion i don't imagine nascar is worth eight billion dollars which is what f1 went for uh but we'll see if if the france family eventually goes on we'll see how this turns out let's move on now to our next topic my goodness peyton manning is he going to be a part owner of the carolina panthers I love when the limited partners, at least those who are being rumored and courted when they start leaking out, like the other NFL owners and Jerry Richardson, I don't think they really care if Peyton Manning is a limited partner in Ben Navarro's bid. How much can you pay me? Are you approvable? That's what matters here. This is the lead guy, Ben Navarro. The LPs, listen, you want folks who bring disparate interests who bring some entertainment, some real estate, some finance to round out a group. And we spoke with Alan Kestenbaum in Bloomberg headquarters last week. Uh, he told us he's got that kind of limited partner makeup. He wouldn't give us any names. But your LPs have to bring something these days more than cash. And I know Peyton is or was the face of the NFL, so it doesn't hurt. But it, it's not a must-have. Who better than Peyton? Though I mean, he's obviously he's a guy. I'd rather have NFL... Peter, who I'll answer. I'll, I'd rather have a Peter Goober. I'd rather have. I mean, people who bring some real expertise in something. 
assuming that there are also limited partners who are there just because of the face, you know, being able to, you know, put a face on a, on a bid and people don't really know who Ben Navarro is. Right. And, and if he can become the bid group that is Peyton Manning's bid group, not unlike we've seen with other celebrities in the past, Jay-Z certainly comes to mind in, in, in Brooklyn. Uh, he seems like a perfect person. He's it widely hurt. liked, possibly the most popular NFL player of the hurt. past decade, if not more. But he better come with cash. I wouldn't give him any discounts. I'll <laughs> sure. tell you that. If I'm Ben Navarro, you better get, sure, Peyton, love to have you. Your your portion comes to X million. Now, where's the check? Well, now, he's turned down Peyton Manning he's, since he retired in 2015. He's turned down several offers from ESPN and Fox, and each willing to pay $10 million a year for him to work in the broadcast. Well, never learn. I, I don't understand what bringing Peyton Manning does for the ratings. If you have good games, people will watch. Uh, this is like the Megyn Kelly syndrome. NBC brought her in to revamp the Today Show. Didn't work, and they're paying her an astronomical fee. If you got good programming, people will watch. Let's move on to our next topic, and let's talk about the UFC ESPN marriage. Yeah, we doubted somewhat. Others out there doubted how much UFC would command. And I guess in the end, Ari Emanuel laughs last because he got $150 million from ESPN for 15%. That's the key here. This is only about 30% of their content. And he got $150 million, which is about what Fox was paying for the whole shebang last time. Yeah, when, when it came out a couple of years ago that UFC was expecting $400 million total for its package, I mean, a lot of people in this industry laughed. And they're probably not going to get to four hundred, but it they're, seems like they're going to clear three hundred, yeah. uh, And they may end up closer to four hundred than three hundred. Uh, this is a huge number for UFC. It's great for them in that... You know, it pairs them with, with ESPN Plus, which is kind of the new ESPN initiative. Uh, it helps ESPN get more content, uh, sure. And yeah, as Scott said, UFC is still out there with a linear package, you know, almost two-thirds of what they offer uh, that they will have to, to sign with a, a broadcast company, maybe Fox, maybe NBC, uh, something along those lines. Well, more importantly, like you were saying, is like, what does this do now for ESPN, as you mentioned, Evan? Because it, now you're talking about a sport where at least they're going to have, what, 15 events that they're going to stream through this? UFC scales as a demo younger. So these folks are watching these events on their iPads, on their phones. And this is about, again, ESPN is a reason why they spent what they did on BamTech, $3 billion dollars. They knew they had to get in the space. They knew that it had the technology had to work. And this is about where in the next 5, 10, 15 years, where are people, even main broadcast components, where are NFL games, where are NBA, where is this stuff going to be seen? Over the top. And you can bet every league out there is excited about the number that UFC got for when their rights are up and they're willing to talk Dancing to ESPN in the Plus, etc. Thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi williams Speaking of the UFC, let's talk more about it now with this week's interview with UFC COO Lawrence Epstein. Lawrence is a lawyer as well as a big fan of boxing, UFC, and MMA. That's right, Barr. And Lawrence, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the big news of the week. Barr referenced it. It's the new deal with ESPN. What's the most important part of this whole thing? Is it just that the deal's done? Is it that it's ESPN, the exclusivity of a premier OTT package? What is the most important part for UFC? You know, I think it's probably all of those, uh, in addition to a few other things. Uh, one of the things that's very, very exciting for us is that uh, ESPN Plus and the ESPN app are going to become a seller 
of our pay-per-view product. So uh, we're very also excited about that. And, you know, this is really a groundbreaking deal for the UFC. And the other thing is we've only sold about a third of our content. So we've got a couple of, we've got more more to sell uh, to, uh, to major media companies. Well, let's be specific for those who aren't familiar with the deals of the past. So this is $150 million a year for, as you say, a third of the content. Previously, Fox was paying about about the same thing, about $150 million for the whole shebang. So I'm starting to see a, an increase in value for your rights, yes? I, I agree with you. The, the content has absolutely become more valuable. It wasn't so long ago where, remember UFC, you could, what, would it be licensed or all that? Now you're in business with the Walt Disney Company. How did we get here in such, which for me seems like such a short period of time? It's incredible. When we bought the company back in 2001, this, this product was essentially uh, banned from pay-per-view. And uh, as we fast forward over the years, we went from uh, being banned on pay-per-view to ultimately getting a pay-per-view deal to then going to, to Spike uh, and then going to uh, the Fox uh, platforms and Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. And uh, now we've done this incredible deal with ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. So it's been an incredible transformation over the years. This whole thing starts January of next year. And I understand, what is it, at least, what, 15 uh, events? That's correct. There's going to be 15 live UFC events that will uh, stream exclusively on the ESPN Plus platform. In addition to that, uh, we're going to do a run of what we call the Dana White's Contender Series, which is sort of up-and-coming fighters that are trying to get into the UFC. That'll be, uh, that'll be 10 episodes that will also be uh, exclusive on the ESPN uh, Plus platform. There's going to be uh, a bunch of library content that we're going to be uh, putting on uh, ESPN Plus, and then uh, a whole bunch of branded series and, and, and all sorts of different shows that will be both airing on ESPN Plus and also on the ESPN flagship networks. This is a game changer. You have 280 million fans around the world. This provides that product to them in a brand new way. You know, we've got such a young fan base, and they're so used to consuming content, you know, when they want it and how they want it and what, on what device uh, they want it. And so the ESPN platform obviously gives us the ability to reach those young fans that are super into UFC. Well, there's still a thing called the television. I know in the bar yeah. household, it's this black and white Philco <laughs> thing. The you know, you have, stand, you have to stand up to actually change a channel with. But you still have another component of this deal coming. What are you looking for? in a partner, in a linear sense, that can what, operate with ESPN in, in conjunction with? or How do they help each other? How are they synergistic? Well, the next deal you're going to see us do is definitely going to be focused on reach. Um, we're, uh, we're going to want to do a deal that's going to be able to uh, connect with as many people as possible to help us continue to grow uh, the UFC brand and expose our product to uh, as many people as we possibly can. But the game plan for all these deals is, is to create exactly what you said, synergies between what we're doing with ESPN+, Plus, what we're going to do with uh, you know, a broad reach partner, and then, of course, you know, what we're going to do to continue to grow our pay-per-view business, which continues to be a really important part of our financial model. We are chatting with the COO of UFC, Lawrence Epstein. And, Lawrence, look ahead to 2021-22, you know, when all the major leagues have their deals up. There was a speculation that, oh, there's a sports rights bubble and, and what's going to happen. Can you even fathom what, and I know we're only, we're only three years away, but what kind of numbers are we looking at? If I'm Adam Silver, if I'm Roger Goodell, if I'm the owner of these teams, how happy am I when I see an OTT platform paying this kind of money for not a whole shebang, like you said, for a percentage of what's capable? How happy should the leagues and owners be at this point in time? I think they've got to be incredibly uh, happy. You know, sports rights, uh, 
people continue to say there's a bubble here, that uh, the, the growth has got to stop, but uh, the reality is is that uh, the market uh, belies those assertions. And, you know, people still love sports. We're seeing it here in my hometown of Las Vegas where the Golden Knights are just taking over the town. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to see how powerful sports are. Uh, they continue to be powerful, and that's why uh, people want to uh, pay big dollars to put them on their platforms. And as part of this deal with ESPN, there's some sort of limited ad component, is there not? Because like your fans, you said they're younger, they're used to getting it, how they want it, what you know, where they want it, and how they want it is not being interrupted all the time. There's no doubt about that. When you're when you're part of a subscription service, uh, you're you're paying a monthly fee, and uh, you you probably want to be uh, less disturbed by ads. That being said, there's still going to be integration of sponsors into the product, like uh, like we do now with our our pay per view. And ESPN does have the flexibility to, to put ads into the ESPN Plus uh, product around uh, around our events. I have to talk about an event that's coming up for you guys: UFC 224. Embed it. Yeah, we've got uh, a big event down in. Uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Unfortunately, I will not be making it, uh, but uh, it's going to be. Uh, Why aren't you going? Fight. Why aren't you going? You know, I've, I've been working on TV deals, so uh, <laughs> I'm trying to stay close to home. But uh, I love Brazil. I wish I was going to be able to make the trip down there, but uh, going to be an exciting event. Send us in your place. We'll go. Scott and I will go. Yeah, live from. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good. I bring this up, though, because it, it shows that, you know, again, how the UFC has grown every year, every year, and it continues to grow. And again, this brings excitement to the fans. Well, you mentioned, you know, an event in Rio uh, de Janeiro, Brazil, and I think it's something that makes the, the UFC unique among a fair amount of sports out there in the sense that we've got a global sport and a global brand. So, I'm a huge NFL fan. Uh, NFL is huge in the U.S., but it's not necessarily uh, that big in France or in or in India. But uh, the UFC, you know, continues to resonate in countries around the world. I mean, we're on television now on uh, 150 countries and and reaching about 1.1 billion homes globally. So, it's something that's really exciting about the UFC is the global reach that we have. Where are the potential growth markets? You mentioned India, and every time I talk to Adam Silver, he's talking about India, and folks like Mukesh Ambani are looking to grow the game there. You've got an Indian owner in Vivek Ranadive. How do you work UFC? Is, is it important to have a fighter from that area? Is that the best way to, to drum up interest? And where are the potential growth targets? There's no doubt that uh, it's great to have a fighter from a particular country to build interest. But that being said, you know, the sport is one that people can understand quickly and get into very quickly. There's not a lot of rules to it. So you mentioned India. Obviously, uh, cricket, a huge sport down in India, very complicated. I mean, I've tried to understand the sport. It's, it's challenging to understand unless you've been brought up with it. Unless you, have a, week, unless you have a week to watch an event, too. That's true. Uh, The great thing about UFC is, I mean, you can really get into it pretty quickly. You can understand putting two athletes in an octagon and letting them use any martial art they want. Yes, there's nuance to it once you get into it, but the entree is very easy. So the the sport really scales and uh, is uh, something that, you know, people like around the world. When you talk about specific countries, you know, we're talking about first Brazil, which is our number two market globally, and there's a a lot of upside there, a lot of great athletes from Brazil, and we've, we've really built a great business uh, uh, there over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. As far as markets we're really targeting right now, you know, China is at the top of the list. It's, it's jumped up from a top 20 market revenue-wise to a top five market revenue-wise, and it's, uh, it's really growing. And you're going to see us make some pretty significant investments in that market over the next few years. We did our first event uh, Thanksgiving weekend in uh, Shanghai uh, last year. Huge success, sold out, and so uh, we're going to be back this year in either Shanghai or, or Beijing, hopefully uh, around the same time. 
Where does that investment come from? Like, what, what does it look like when you say we're about to make some big investments in China? What does that entail? Does that entail opening up a UFC bar restaurant? Is that hosting events? What do you talk about when you say making investment to, to help grow the sport there? Uh, several things. First of all, of course, doing uh, live events in the market. Second, working on talent development, so uh, trying to foster the development of, of, of athletes in the market. Um, third, building a staff on the ground in China. And fourth, uh, we're, we're in the process now of looking at building a UFC Performance Institute, very much like the one we have in Las Vegas, uh, somewhere in China. We're talking with UFC COO Lawrence Epstein. Let's talk about the talent, the new names coming up. Can you, can you bring us up to date on that, especially for an old man like me? You know, one of the, the great things about uh, UFC is that, uh, you know, the stars uh, sort of come out of nowhere. You think about a guy like Conor McGregor, who has uh, turned into the biggest star probably we've ever had. Uh, you know, three or four years ago, the guy really wasn't that uh, well-known. We've just got a, a lot of stars that are, are really, you know, sort of right on that edge that are about to break through, in addition to, of course, the, the Connors and the, and the others that, are, that have already hit the mainstream. Um, you know, and part of it's due to sort of the Connor controversy, but uh, Khabib, who uh, fought in uh, in Brooklyn uh, recently, uh, is is definitely a star that's that's on the rise. Uh, he's got a, a strong following, both uh, in Europe and in the United States. So he's somebody we're we're definitely uh, spending a lot of time uh, promoting. But said so we've got you know about a dozen athletes right now that we can sort of measure whether it's social media following, whether it's media interest, or a variety of other factors that show us they're sort of on that same trajectory that you know Ronda Rousey was or Conor McGregor was or, or John Jones was during uh, during their sort of growth and you know uh, it's just it's a combination of having a great personality and of course performing in the octagon that turns these athletes into superstars who do you think is on the Ronda Rousey level right now in the women's fights you know Chris Cyborg is uh, is an athlete who is just you know hasn't had a lot of competition because she's just been you know walking through everybody she she fights she had an incredibly exciting fight against Holly Holm which I think I think basically dispelled any naysayers that were out there that that she wasn't as good as uh, everyone thought she was and I think Chris is is somebody who's got the country of Brazil behind her and she's also got a great following of, from female fans around the world. Uh, she's she's definitely uh, about to break out into, uh, I think, a much bigger bigger uh, star position. Lawrence, everything you're saying, and I keep hearing the echoes of David Stern, are you following someone else's model, or are you plotting your own model um, in, in a completely different way? I'm trying to think, of what, it, what is the strategy for international expansion, for development of stars? It's the same thing we hear from, from let's say, the NBA and, and David, but it took decades for them to cultivate that fan base. It just doesn't happen that quickly. There's no doubt we're looking at what other leagues and other organizations are doing. And, and the NBA is an incredible model to follow. They've had great success, and they've got a sport that you know, people around the world are interested in. Though, though it's not real, we've certainly looked at what WWE has done to, uh, to grow uh, their sports entertainment product around the world. They've done a great job in, uh, in turning that into something that said people around the world are interested in. So we're definitely charting our own course, but uh, we love stealing good ideas from those that are, that are doing good work around the world. We are chatting with the COO of UFC, Lawrence Epstein. What have you seen from your parent company now, IMG? What have you seen? How have they utilized your fighters? How have they integrated UFC into their entire portfolio of assets? 
Well, the ESPN Plus deal is, I think, a, a testament to the integration of, of Endeavor and, and UFC. We don't get this deal done without uh, Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro, who were intimately involved in the negotiating of this deal. So, yeah, for those who may not know, Mark that, used to run editorial at ESPN years ago. He was, I mean, I think he created PTI, so for those who do not know. Yeah, and th- those two guys were key to getting this deal done. So, I mean, to me, that's the biggest example of how this thing has worked. But when you talk about star building, I mean, that's where you know we we're ex- even more excited about what the Endeavor uh, WME IMG organization brings to the table. And now combining that with you know what we've got with ESPN Plus, feel like we've got a, a pretty uh, amazing machine to not only build stars but build them faster. What's what's the process? Can you quickly walk me through the process? Let's say this young upstart fighter named Michael Barr who, let's say, stands about 5'10", probably, uh, Mike, I'm not going to embarrass you, two-something. Um, <laughs> let's say he walked into the octagon, and you said, waddled we gotta, with yeah, everyone. waddled into that Limpton, and we got to make a star out of this guy. What's the car wash process for taking a talented fighter and saying, we're going to make you a star? Listen to this. We know how to do it. What's the process? Well, you start with what you what you said there is bringing talent in. You you gotta you gotta be able to to fight. You gotta be able to perform, and uh, and I think that's the key uh, to to get the ball rolling. Once once we once our matchmakers and our talent developers find that that talent, we then do a bunch of different stuff. Uh, one of the first things we do is we sit down with the athlete and work with them on on building a brand, uh, building an image on social media, helping them create quality content on social media. Uh, we also get them into our UFC Performance Institute to help them with uh, strength and conditioning, nutrition. Uh, if he has, if he or she has any injuries or things that need to get taken care of, we're there. And then, you know, we start putting the athlete into the UFC ecosystem where they're involved in promotion and marketing, and ultimately individual events. And uh, you know, as I said previously, it's this sort of combination of having this this personality that people are interested in, and then of course performing in the octagon. And, I think the best example of that is, of course, you know, Conor McGregor, where the guy, you know, is an incredibly interesting personality. If you follow him on social media, he continues to engage you with his lifestyle, with his, his comments on a variety of issues. And then when he gets into the octagon, he performs. And I think that, that combination is, is ultimately what we're trying to get uh, to build new stars. Only weapon I'd have in the octagon, two glasses and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And we'll work it out for you. We're talking to UFC COO Lawrence Epstein. And I know this has been a subject that is has been talked about a while, but fantasy sports and UFC have been married for quite a while. Can you talk about that? You know, we had a relationship with uh, with DraftKings uh, from uh, from the time they sort of were, were getting, you know, uh, getting going. And uh, we we love fantasy sports because it, incre- it creates uh, increased engagement for our product and, frankly, all sports products. Um, when we were really deeply engaged uh, with, with DraftKings, we, we absolutely saw an uptick in people viewing our early fights uh, because the way the fantasy product worked is you had to sort of pick a winner in each one of the, of the 12 bouts of the night. So that means you had to watch the, uh, the first fight of the night, sort of like watching the Cleveland Browns in, uh, in week, uh, week 16 or week 17. Um, Ouch! Shot at the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Listen, if you got a running back on the Browns, you're still watching. You know, <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. We get it. We get it. 
So, so we loved it because it absolutely uh, creates fan engagement and uh, it gets people involved early, which is great, you know, from for, from a star building process too. Because the more you can expose an athlete to to consumers, the better chance you've got to sort of get them to that that star level. We are chatting with UFC COO Lawrence Epstein. And Lawrence, in your background, you worked a lot with Bob Arum when he was building top rank. Give me your best Bob Arum story and lesson learned. You know, first of all, Bob is an incredibly smart guy. Uh, this is a guy who, uh, you know, worked in the Kennedy administration, uh, Justice Department, Harvard Law School graduate, uh, just an incredibly, uh, incredibly smart guy. I think the best, you know, the only stories I can tell you that uh, wouldn't violate my attorney-client uh, privilege would be that, uh, in general, just to say that Bob is a can-do guy. I mean, he's a guy who figures out a way to get deals done. The deal that everyone said couldn't be done, it's not possible, we can't sign that guy. Bob is a, is a can-do guy, and he doesn't take no for an answer, and he gets things done. Speaking of folks who have figured out a way to get it done, and, and you made reference to them earlier, how about those Vegas Golden Knights, still alive? But what Michael and I are impressed with, and we had some of the executives on the show previously, is they have found a way, seemingly, to create such a compelling in-arena product that there's no longer a choice of go and watch it live or stay at home, that competition that's building in other sports, because you want to be there live. It's a great spectacle. You sort of do that as well, but what kind of job have they done in that market? Well, by the way, I loved your interview with Kerry Bubolt. I've got to know him pretty well during this, this first season that he's uh, been uh, you know, working with the Golden Knights. Kerry, from the very beginning, was incredibly smart, and the whole organization was, in thinking about how do we take a hockey product and integrate it into this entertainment landscape in Las Vegas. So it was never just purely about sport. It was about how do we get a tourist to come to Las Vegas, go see Celine Dion on Friday night, go to a nightclub on Saturday night, and then on Sunday afternoon go see an NHL hockey game. And in order to do that, you had to have an entertainment component to uh, to what they were doing to make the experience fun, different, and frankly, um, you know, exciting. And uh, whether it's integration of Blue Man Group, whether it's uh, you know uh, the way they've uh, they've used Cirque du Soleil, uh, whether it's the way they get the crowd excited, uh, you know, throughout the games. I mean, they've just done an incredible job. And 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 we sort of do the same thing. I mean, we always see ourselves as a balance between yes, we're a sport, and yes, we're providing you know uh, sport. Uh, a product out there, but we also want to make sure the fans are entertained throughout the entire time they're in the arena. And I think the Golden Knights have done the exact same thing, and they've obviously been very successful. But at the end of the day, everybody loves a winner, too. And uh, if they were losing a bunch of games, I'm not sure how the, how the attendance would be, uh, no matter how good the entertainment is. Yeah, but shouldn't everybody get it that it's not just about the sport? People want to be entertained. I've been to a couple of UFC events. There's some downtime between those bouts. You've got to give something people to do. I mean, it can't just be sitting around waiting for the next bout. Yeah, that's that's certainly, you know, our, our mentality. I mean, you know, all of us at UFC are big boxing guys, and uh, we looked at uh, a lot of the production elements of boxing, and, and we said, hey, how can we do better? Uh, there's definitely a lot of downtime in boxing, and, and there, the music wasn't loud, and the, the video assets weren't present. Um, and so we decided to do things a little bit differently, and, and obviously it worked out pretty well for us. I had to give it up for the Golden Knights, by the way. I've never seen an expansion team in any sport like this with this much success. Got to give it up. For you know, as a native Las Vegan, it's it's so exciting because we haven't had a team really to root for since the the 1990 UNLV run in Rebels, and so it's been 27 or 28 years where we're where we're sort of like in contention for a title, 
And uh, the community is just it's just going nuts. I mean, you, I, you can't believe people are talking about hockey all day long, wearing Golden Knights merchandise. Um, it's just it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, let me impress you. Ready? Greg Anthony, Anderson Hunt, Liddell Eccles, Larry Johnson, and Stacey Ogden starting five running Rebels. Strong. Oh, Thank you. Oh, and I'm not even impressed. I'm not even a Las Vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressed. Ultimate Fighting Champion COO Lawrence Epstein. I'm impressed. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Takeaway, Scott, the biggest thing that I think that I'm impressed about with the UFC on how it's growing as a sport and continues to grow. Yes, it's a young person's sport, but even old guys like me are starting to get into it. Really old guys like you. Well, what I'm impressed (laughs) with is the number. This is sheer dollars for me that they were looking at 400 million-esque, and as Eben referenced earlier, nobody really thought they were going to get there. But this is showing the power of sport and content again. They have yet to sell 70% of their content. They've already matched what they got last time. Really, commissioners, Silver, Goodell, Bettman, Garber, uh, Manfred, they're dancing in their desks because <laughs> the numbers just keep going up. And when you talk about 2021-22, when these major sports properties are up for bid, now you've got the OTTs, you've got the digital, you've got the linear. These numbers are going to skyrocket, which is why you're seeing valuations on these teams continue to go up. You just wonder, what is it, if anything, that's going to bring this down to earth? And what's cool about the UFC, it doesn't make a difference whether it's a male star or a female star. It's equal. There is a lot of attention. You know what? We better have another McGregor. We better have another Ronda Rousey. We better have something that people want to see. This is about stars. These sports are about stars. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. And for the first time, it's going to be numbers of the week. As we tell our listeners, sometimes we discuss ahead of time. This was not one of those times. I know nothing. 13, 14, 15, and 16. I have no idea. (laughs) This is something so cool. NASCAR is launching Youth Esports Series on iRacing. The Youth Series will open to participants ages 13 through 16 worldwide it's the formation of that youth league. This is something cool. Have you seen the pictures of these? Uh, no. You come to me with this NASCAR number of the week when one of our lead segments is NASCAR up for sale? Well, this listen, this is smart what they're doing because maybe, maybe this they should have been, yeah, <laughs> been, been doing it a while ago. Maybe they should have done it a while ago. <laughs> this could attract a buyer. Now you throw in esports. That's something NASCAR has never done before. Why don't they, is it, there's no good, there's got to be a NASCAR video game out there from EA Sports. Oh, there's, there have been many of them. Okay. But there's never been an eSports series like this. All right, well, it's sign of the times. Yeah, everybody's got to have one of those. I got a shot. Maybe I can do it. Yeah, well, you'll come in with your thumb wrapped up telling me you hurt yourself. <laughs> you're funny. Oh, you're funny. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Day at the Beach. Anyway, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. 
We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.